The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 191 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How can you improve your responses to RFPs? I am your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I will be talking with Matt Handel, a proposal expert and author of the book called Proposal Development Secrets, Win More Work, Work Smarter, and Get Home on Time. We're going to talk about what civil engineering professionals need to know about proposals. And what was really interesting to me in this conversation was that Matt talks about the dynamic between the marketing professionals in a consulting firm and the technical or engineering professionals. And that is a dynamic that's important in being able to successfully develop winning proposals, right? Because you need to work as an engineer, you're going to need to work with marketing, you're going to need to exchange the right types of information and get assistance on things that you're not able to do as an engineering professional. And they need some information from you that they don't understand as a marketing professional. So I really thought that this was valuable. And for those of you that are involved in this process, I hope you take something out of it. And if you're not involved in this process yet, you likely will be in the future. So hopefully you can kind of catalog some of these things for future use. Now, before we jump in with Matt, I do want to just mention at the Engineering Management Institute, we've been very focused on helping engineering companies hire, develop, and retain top professionals to help sustain growth in the market that we're in right now, which is a crazy market. You might be thinking, hire? You do recruiting? No, we don't do recruiting, but we do have some new hiring solutions that we can get you on our podcast. We can get you in front of engineering professionals, in front of engineering students. You can check them all out at engineeringhiringsolutions.com. Again, that's engineeringhiringsolutions.com. And one of the other services that we've been offering lately is we've been helping firms build what we call the EMI Career Roadmap. Essentially what that is, is it's a career roadmap that shows your employees the different pathways and opportunities within your firm. There's nothing worse than having an employee who feels like their career path is them on a boat in a fog. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they can achieve at your company. They don't know what the step is for them. Well, the Career Roadmap provides that clarity. And when your employees are clear on where they're headed, they're engaged and they're going to work better and they're going to crank out more work and higher quality work. So if you're interested in checking out some of our consulting services, including our career roadmap development, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or simply give us a call, 800-920-4007. Again, that's 800-920-4007. Let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Matt Handel. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the podcast for today, Matt Handel. Matt, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited about it. So, Matt, before we kind of jump into our topic here, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're located, what do you do on a daily basis? So, I'm here right outside Philadelphia. I spend a lot of time with engineers. What I do from day to day, standpoint is that I help people in the construction industry write and manage winning proposals. So personally, I've submitted proposals in nearly every state, including Hawaii and Alaska, and that includes just about every DOT out there. But I'm probably best known for a website I run called helpeverybodyeveryday.com. It's interesting. Tell us about the website. The website is really about like marketing and business development in the construction industry. 
some people might think, well, that's a very, very odd name for a website that's about that. But how it came about was a friend of mine who worked at a civil engineering firm. Whenever I called him up, you know, we talked about, hey, what are you doing? And he'd always say, just helping everybody every day. Because at the end of the day, in our industry, that's the best marketing you can do is helping everybody every day. So I would do the podcast. So Matt, let's jump right in here. You've authored a book called Proposal Development Secrets, Win More, Work Smarter, and Get Home on Time. Talk to us about what led you to writing the book in the first place. I was submitting at one point 160 plus proposals a year. That's what I did. I was a propostitute. I smelled a FedEx truck exhaust. And that's because I chased so many FedEx trucks down with a package under my arm. I was walking out of the office at 2 a.m. in the morning. This is on Easter morning. That was what I did. You know, in time, I met other people who did what I did, and there's thousands of us out there. And as it turned out, their work life made mine look like cakewalk. And eventually, after years and years, I came to a very important realization that there was a problem here. That's what ultimately eventually led it to that book. You know, I saw a problem in our industry and I really wanted to help people. And so basically you were working for, I guess, a company in the AEC field. You were doing proposals was your job. Yes. I was working in an engineering firm. And a lot of people have the title like marketing. Mine was like business development coordinator at the time. But a lot of the time, these people, their almost full-time job, if not more than full-time, is pumping out proposals. In our industry, that's how you win business. Nothing is really done until something gets sold. So let's dive into this process a little bit. I know in speaking with a lot of civil engineering professionals, being a civil engineer myself who practice in consulting, you know, when you get into the proposal process, you know, there's usually parts of it that the engineering or technical professional needs to work on, and there's parts that you need to get the marketing or BD staff involved for. How can an engineer or technical professional work with the marketing staff or other people that help put proposals together? What do you recommend in that process? Yeah. So I want to step back and just kind of talk big picture here. So you go to college and you get your engineering degree or you get a job at an engineering firm and hopefully you move up the ladder, but then there's something you're going to need to do before you become like the senior vice president or the president or, or maybe the CEO, right? What happens is eventually someone drops an RFP on your desk and says, write a document and win us this $1 million contract. And like you're like, wait, where was this in engineering class? Where was this in engineering school? We really need to think about how unusual that is for a profession. Like nobody does that to a dentist or a teacher. Nobody drops a violin on the dentist chair and say, play us the concerto, you know? But yes, that's exactly what we're doing to engineers. And if they want to move up to a certain level, I saw the one podcast you did with president or CEO of Urban Engineers. Well, do you think he got that in that position without winning any work? No, he was building the New York office, right? That I would say is problem number one is the situation that we put engineers in. Problem number two might be, so you might find problem number two surprising. And it's this, the same exact thing is happening to your marketing staff. I don't care what marketing or English degree they received, but nobody ever taught them how to respond to an RFP. Furthermore, you, the civil engineer, you probably received more training on project management than they did because they got none. And this is a recipe, in my experience, for painful experiences with proposals. Painful. And I think your listeners are going to know what I'm talking about. That's the problem. Those are the two problems. So, you know, what's the solution? What's my advice? I would say, since we work at engineering firms, engineers are naturally on a higher level than marketers. They're on that higher pecking order at the end of the day. But you've got to realize that you're both put into the same boat. 
And this might sound counterintuitive, but you really have to be their advocate. You got to be the marketing, whoever's helping you with this proposal. You actually have to not just do what you need to do within the proposal environment, but you have to be their advocate. You got to help them help you. So if that means like advocating for training, that's great. If that means taking them on a site visit so they gain a better understanding of what you do, well, that's great too. That means listening to them when they say, hey, you know what? This is probably not a good use of our time. Well, that's great. That means encouraging them to, hey, take the first stab at the cover letter, giving them that responsibility, help them move their game up to the next level. That's great. Even if it means I'm helping them bind a proposal at the end of the day, that's great. You've got to help them help you. And to some respect, you've got to be accountability buddies. You can't be missing deadlines. And I think we'll probably talk about this later, but you can't be missing deadlines. But on the other hand, they can't either. So you got to help each other be accountable. You got to find a way to make that a reality. I think a lot of times I can speak at least for the engineering side of it. You make assumptions that this person in marketing knows everything that they need to do, or they know everything that I do. So they'll be able to spin this into some beautiful proposal to go send out. And I think your point is a really good one, Matt, in that you can't assume anything and you need to find out from them what they know and what they don't know. And you need to fill fill in the gaps there because if it is just one site visit that makes the proposal a winning proposal as opposed to not, then you you could say that that was certainly worth your time. And so that's going to lead me right into my next question, which is time. You know, we're billable professionals, engineering professionals. And at EMI, we do a lot of corporate training and development. And when we tell someone that you're going to have to go to PM training, you know, the first response I get is, well, I'm billable and I got to get off my billable work and I got to go through training. So how would you respond to an engineering professional that says, I have a lot of billable time. I don't have time for proposals. How can they make the time or what would you say to them? There is a great analogy, Merlin Mann, this guy Merlin Mann had, where he said, think of your time as a box. You have a box and you have these little blocks that you can put in the box. And the box only holds so, so many, let's say 24 blocks in it. And you know you have time for sleep in there. You have time to eat in there. And you can never add more blocks into this box. You can't really make time per se. You can only change your priorities to move things around. And I think it's a very important question because I think it happens a lot, especially in this situation many firms find themselves in right now is that what if you're too billable? I was doing a workshop in Austin. I go around and do workshops all over the place. I was doing one in Austin a few years back. And there was a woman who was a marketing staff. This was happened to be an architecture firm. And she had the typical complaint. For you engineers, the typical proposal complaint is this. We gave this to the technical staff. It had to be done on Thursday. It's now Monday and I don't have. That's the typical complaint you'll hear from the technical staff, and you'll hear it all across the country. So I asked her a couple of questions. I said, well, how did you determine who's going to do this, this technical approach or whatever? She said, well, we just went around and gave it to whoever was available. Well, how did you determine who was available? Did you look at like projections or timesheets or whatever? No, we just, whoever seemed available, we just gave it to them. Did you like, how did you determine when it was going to be due? Was it based on like their workload and what they can do? And no, we just told them it was due on Thursday. We needed it by Thursday. <laughs> of course you didn't get in, this, in that scenario. If you did that to me, if you came to me and said, hey, I need this by Thursday and I was working on some other stuff <laughs> and I had deadlines, you know, I didn't want to get my clients angry. Of course I wasn't going to deliver it to you. That's the problem. You don't want to assume that people understand your commitments and workload. 
So from the engineering perspective, don't assume that people understand your commitments and workload if you're not going to, you got to communicate that, right? So it's better for you to raise the red flag when the RFP lands on your desk than raise it the day before the proposal is due or worse yet, like just not deliver and just assume like, oh, I'll get this done eventually and know that you'll push it off to the past the last minute, right? That's, it goes back to accountability. That's not a good accountability on your part. You know, it's okay to say, hey, I need help here. Anthony, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. What's in your head as a civil engineer is civil engineering. It's not rocket science. So if you sat me down and walked me through, let's say, step-by-step your approach to designing a a reverse cantilever bridge, I can write that down on a piece of paper. Believe it or not, I could write down what you said on a piece of paper. And in fact, it might actually end up being better than what you would write. And it's probably a lot quicker too. There's ways at the end of the day, one, you have to be honest with yourself and with other people and communicate. If the situation is, oh, I can't do it. I don't have the capacity to do it. Well, you kind of need to be involved in the effort of finding, okay, what's our other way around of doing this? Is there somebody on the technical staff that can help us? Is there a way that we can do this with the marketing staff? And you know, I can be involved, but to a lesser extent. And that's if you're busy. There's the other case of like, you just don't feel like doing it. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying before, like, okay, that's great. You don't feel like doing it, but if you want to be senior vice president at the end of the day, you got to get good at winning work. Yeah. And I think that that's something definitely to come back to is, you know, all professionals in consulting at some point in time, if you want to climb that ladder, become a leader, become a department head, office manager, branch manager, you need to bring in business. I mean, there's just no way around it. So the more you delay it and you say, I'm too busy, I got too much billable work, I can't do this, I can't do this. You're just delaying the progression of your career. You can think of it that way if you want to try to get yourself going a little bit. And it's better that you can figure out a way to prioritize or like Matt said, maybe you could sit down with the marketing team and share some insights to maybe they can take some of that and then run with it a little bit if you're really jammed up. But at the end of the day, from a career standpoint, from career priorities and goals, it's probably the way for you to go if you're going to want to get to those VP positions. So it is something that you're going to have to do. Hopefully, some of the stuff that you know Matt's sharing with us today can make it a little bit easier for you. And I guess that kind of leads into another question I had for you. You know, writing proposals is hard work, but how can engineers maybe make their lives easier when they're writing proposals? I mean, it sounds like from your perspective, it's maybe letting others help you more in some way. Yeah, that's one way. I mean, I would say that <laughs> you know, go into your vice president's office and demand that your marketing staff get both proposal management and proposal writing training. That would be a good first step. It's a bold first step, but I think it would be a good first step. I also think that you should bring someone in to provide some proposal training to the engineers because I was just talking about work training with large engineering firm. I was out in Missouri a few weeks back and you know we spent the whole day talking about proposal writing and it, it's not something that you learn in 15 minutes or in a three-minute kind of blip. You know, If nothing else, training is going to make your life easier. And I know, Anthony, you're a strong believer in training. So I'm speaking to the choir here, I'm sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Here's important point number two. There's a difference between what you can do and what you can win. Engineers have to understand this. You need to go after contracts that you can win. So if you don't have some sort of what's known as a go, no go system in place right now, you need to get one in place yesterday. You need to have the ability to say, we have a reasonable chance of winning this. Because a lot of times when you see an RFP, I equate it to like Gollum. It's like, I see that ring in Lord of the Rings and Gollum wants that ring. But if you can't get your hands on that ring, it's better to go chase a different ring. 
I know many engineering companies spend many, many hours on projects that the likelihood of them winning is very small. So that sounds like a really one of a good place to start in terms of saving time and being more efficient for sure. In your opinion, Matt, what's the biggest mistake found in technical approaches in these proposals? So a lot of firms send me like proposals to critique. I'll do kind of like a, a critique after the facts, sometimes even before they s- submit it. I've read a lot of technical approaches and I keep coming across the same big problem in these technical approaches. I uh, lovingly refer to it as the peanut butter and jelly problem. And here's the peanut butter and jelly problem. Let's say I gave you an RFP and it says, describe your methodology and approach to this scope of work. And here's the scope of work. Matt wants a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What firms typically say is this, we will build you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it's followed by, trust us, it will be great. Well, that's the same because that approach doesn't include an approach. That approach is 100% devoid of a technical approach. They often provide a scope of work. Scope of work is typically, here's your scope of work and here's a bunch of promises. Wow, we're going to do a swell job. But that's not what they're asking. A scope of work is what you're going to do. But an approach is how are you going to do it? Why are you going to do it that way? And what's the benefit? Specifically, what's the benefit to the client? So in my opinion, my experience, really, that's the common, common problem I see in technical approaches. And it goes back to this. Nobody ever in engineering school taught you how to write a technical approach. Nobody taught you how to do that. So how are you expected to be able to do that? You just do what somebody else was doing. You might look at another proposal they submitted, which has the peanut butter and jelly problem. (laughs) It just goes on and on like a virus. So everyone's going to promise them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but they want to understand the approach you're going to take in delivering it to them so they can kind of see what you're thinking versus these other competitors. Exactly. People ask me the question, you know, if you could put one thing on a billboard, what would that be? And I always say it would be your clients aren't stupid. You know, I know many of them and I can tell you they're smarter than I am. So they're probably smarter than you are too. So we can't treat our clients like they're stupid. If I can identify that it's just simply a promise that you say, oh, I'm going to make you a great peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Trust us. It's going to be swell. Well, your client, if you say that about a highway or a bridge or your great customer service, like your clients aren't stupid. They see right through that. I agree with you. I think we need to do a better job at sharing our thought process of how we're approaching things so that people can understand that and you can have intelligent conversations around that as opposed to just jumping right to the end point and saying, we're going to give you this great product, but just like everybody else kind of. So let me ask you this question. What is it like to be on an evaluation committee for a civil engineering contract? Yeah, I could tell you many, many stories about this. And really, at the end of the day, it varies from agency to agency. One of the things I always do in, in a proposal workshop that I do all over the place is I'll get some real proposals to typically submit it to like a DOT or something like that, or some other kind of large agency. And I put people in groups of six. I give them the scope of work and the proposal. And I say, I'm going to come back in an hour. You tell me who won and why. That is an extremely eye-opening experience. And I suggest every civil engineer do that at least once in their life to see, okay, what is it like evaluating these proposals? Because what you find is that things you think might've thought were important, maybe aren't as important as you think they are. And the things that maybe you didn't spend that much time about are maybe more important than you really think they are. 
again, that is an eye-opening experience. And that to me is the best way to get a, a first-hand look at, okay, how would I make a decision if I was on the selection committee? Yeah, that's a good point. I do know a lot of civil engineers that have had the chance to maybe represent a municipality and they get to look over different quotes. And you know, I can only imagine that that would help them themselves in you know, preparing proposals in the future for sure. Yeah. So a lot of these states have like sunshine laws where you can kind of essentially get proposals that were submitted because once you submit them, they're like the property of the state. You can like foil them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's typically how I get them. I mean, there's like Florida DOT has a whole FTP site. If you know where to look, that has all the proposals. City of Miami, you can go and listen to shortlist interviews. So if you do enough searching, you know where to look, you could find a lot of great material for a proposal experiment like that. So Matt, do you have any final advice with regard to proposal writing for civil engineers out there? Listen to this podcast twice, because <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of good information here. Feel free to email me at matt at helpeverybodyeveryday.com, because like, I love talking about proposals. I'm happy to answer any question or provide whatever advice I can. I'm weird like that. I like to talk about proposals. We're not done with Matt yet. We're going to switch gears now. We're going to come back in a minute. And we're just going to finish up with a couple of career questions on the civil engineering hot seat. So we'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. We are back with Matt Handel, author of Proposal Development Secrets, Win More, Work Smarter, and Get Home on Time. All right, Matt, are you ready for the civil engineering hot seat? I'm in the hot seat. I'm ready to go. First of all, Matt, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? Do you have a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently every day that has contributed to your success? I thought about this and oddly, I have no rituals, zero rituals. There may even be days that I don't even check my email. I'm actually too ADD for daily rituals. But what benefits me and my life are what I like to call mental frameworks. So for example, if there's a thing to be done, I'll ask, what does done look like in this scenario? And then once I know that, what's the next physical action I need to get closer to done? For me, it's about mental frameworks, You know, whether it's in proposals or life. I think mental frameworks and formulas are key for me. All right. So Matt, is there one book that you might recommend to engineers or just a book in general that you found to be extremely helpful for you in your professional or your personal development? And I know there's lots of books out there, but does one jump out to you? I think the books that have most impacted me are the ones that I've read multiple times. This one here is called The Magic of Winning Proposals. It's from Laura Ricci, who's now retired. A lot of the proposal books were written by like, oh, I used to work at IBM and not from our industry. This is a person who helped develop the system that URS ultimately used. And I know the system is being still being used at some of the top engineering firms. It's called The Magic of Winning Proposals. You can buy it at amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. And it is actually my favorite book about proposals. And I like what you said there. Usually the best books, most helpful books for one that you've read multiple times, right? And you keep going back to it. You know, it's all marked up, all the pages are folded and stuff. Those are the ones that are really, really helpful. So that's a good way to think of it. All right. Here's another one for you, Matt. Thinking back on managers that you may have had in the past, if you think about kind of your favorite manager or managers, and you don't need to name anyone specifically, but what was it that made them your favorite? We're just trying to understand, you know, some of the best managers out there. What do they do on a regular basis? It's a good question. And I'm going to give you an interesting story here. On July 12th, 2006, 
a civil engineer in San Diego emailed me asking for the username and password tied to their subscription of engineering news record. I don't think they do this anymore, but engineering news record used to have like a little label on it or a little sticker and it had your number on it. And then you can go to the website and like register your username and password. So they were in San Diego and I was in Philadelphia. I responded in an email and I said, oh, I have no idea what that would be. Can't you folks take the subscription number from your San Diego copy of ENR and register your own user ID? Because we pay for each subscription separately. So here's what I got back. And this is verbatim. Matt, thanks for your chippy attitude. That's just what I needed in my busy life is BS from you. In the future, I suggest you watch how you address your fellow team members, especially those of higher rank. So imagine that I was only at this firm for like a couple of, you know, maybe it was on my second year. I was sitting at my desk. I was in shock. And my boss walked by and noticed like, why is Matt just sitting there with a glaze on here? So she looked at my screen. She walked back to her office and picked up the phone. Within five minutes, this vice president in San Diego was calling me to apologize. And as far as I'm concerned, my manager at that time, Tracy, she walks on water. Here's the point of this story is that you know, some managers, especially marketing managers, would just walk away and say, oh, that guy's a jerk. But Tracy had my back and she went to bat for me. And years later, like, a recruiter called me up asking me to, like, to jump ship right, and work with the civil engineer we're talking about. And I said, well, I'd never work with that guy in a million years. Having that manager that like, had your back, you know, that was important. You know, I think management is a very important piece of the overall puzzle because ultimately, especially when it comes to the marketing, could be a pretty brutal job. A lot of times your manager is what makes you stay or leave. It's really good to hear that. I think that is an important aspect of or a trait that managers can have is really kind of backing up their team members. And I agree with you. It's, it's not easy to do and a lot of people won't do it, especially in some of the, you know, the corporate atmospheres that we live in today. And so that's a really cool story. All right. I've got one final question, Matt. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give them career advice in that short period of time, what would your advice be? So what I would say is an expert isn't someone with a lot of Ps. An expert isn't someone with a number of degrees. An expert is someone who has contributed to the body of knowledge in his or her profession. At the end of the day, you don't know what you know until you write it down. So I suggest that you write it down and share it with your peers. I want to thank Matt Handel. Matt is the author of Proposal Development Secrets, Win More, Work Smarter, and Get Home on Time. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Can you just give our listeners your website there one more time, Matt? www.helpeverybodyeveryday.com. And my email is matt at helpeverybodyeveryday.com. Thanks again for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Handel. Again, as I said earlier, getting involved in business development proposal writing is something that all civil engineering professionals have to do, or most have to do at some point in their career. And it is critical to your success, especially if you're in a, working for a private consulting firm. And I hope that you can take some of what he talked about in this episode and really apply it. That's what this podcast is all about. And before we let you go for today, I do want to remind you that we do provide a various learning and development programs for engineering companies through the Engineering Management Institute. We have our popular Engineering Management Accelerator Core Skills Development Courses. We have a people leadership course called the Engineering Leadership Accelerator, communication, public speaking, networking, productivity. 
We have our Project Management Accelerator, PM Skills Course, Scope, Schedule, Budget, Stakeholders, Scope Creep, etc. And we have our Seller Doer Accelerator course, which is focused more on business development. If you're interested in enrolling in any of these programs, you can visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. We run them generally and you can enroll. You can enroll a number of your people or we could do a company-only version just for you. And we also have our custom hybrid programs. So we can take our PM training curriculum, for example. We can work with your professionals, put some of your verbiage into it, some of your templates and software. We can create your own custom-specific PM training program that we can deliver or train your staff on how to deliver it. You can check all that out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or just give us a call, 800-920-4007. You can find the show notes for this specific episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 191. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.